Well, I appreciate the opportunity to share with you uh, uh, this morning, and uh, uh, James uh, gave us a great introduction in starting off chapter 14 of John. Let me just just say, uh, just this doesn't have anything to do with the lessons, but a great devotional experience is reading the Upper Room Dialogue and of Jesus, chapter 13 through 17. You know, we, we really kind of shortchange God speaking into our hearts in our little, you know, just chapter by chapter, paragraph by paragraph. But to catch a, here is Jesus. Just suppose he invited us, said, I want to have dinner with you. I've got some things to share with you. And read that whole section from 13 to 17 is just an awesome uh, experience of uh, the words of Jesus. I mean, he's doing most of the talking to the disciples. Well, uh, you know, we start off 14, you know, uh, don't let your heart be troubled. My house are many mansions and I go to prepare a place for you. And so uh, focus on that eternal home that we're looking forward to. But <coughs> excuse me, I have a little intermittent coughing, but but James, uh, I, I really moved on to the real focus. It wasn't like I'm going to heaven to prepare these houses and, and mansions for you. I'm going to the Father. And the disciples, you know, puzzled by this. Well, well, what's the way to the Father? How can we know him? And uh, Jesus was just so exasperated. You know, I did a study one time on the times he was exasperated with his disciples. You know, oh, you have little faith. How long will I put up with you? I mean, it would have been awkward, you know, being right there in the presence of Jesus and supposed to be learning all these lessons and so forth. And, uh, you know, he said, good grief, you know, you've heard my words. Those are the words of the Father. You've seen the works that I've done. Those are the works of the Father. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. Uh, and uh, so, uh, you know, as we look forward to heaven to know that uh, it's, uh, we're really going to be with the Father. That's what it's, what it's all about. Amen. Well, I think we missed this, uh, the way the, the chapter flows is, uh, so he's talking about that heavenly home that's our reward as a, a, a Christian who's been born again. But now he moves into his going away in order to prepare for us our home here on earth, the kind of home and life that we should have here on earth in the Holy Spirit that is, is within us. Uh, you know, and of course, in both things we're talking about, Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You know, we don't come to the Father but by me, but it's all about being restored to a relationship with the Father. Now, I need to just take a little uh, liberty here to put into perspective our salvation experience. I would probably assume that most of you, like me, came to a point of understanding why Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, and we had parents or a church or a friend that nurtured us to understand by praying that prayer of faith and repentance to receive that as having been our death and paying the penalty for our sins that we were saved. I grew up in the church. I could tell anyone the plan of salvation, why Christ died on the cross. But uh, even before I made a profession of faith and was baptized, but it was in a Billy Graham crusade when I was 10 years old. Uh, 
For some reason, I just never made that decision. There had never been the compelling conviction uh, to do that. But here in the inimitable uh, presentation of the gospel, as Billy Graham only could do, my heart was just touched, and I realized I was separated from God by my sin. And there was no reticence whatsoever to pray that sinner's prayer at the end of his message. Tugged on my daddy's coat sleeve and said, I prayed that prayer. I want to go down to the altar, you know, and receive Christ. Now, the thing I remember about that is not the radical change as, I mean, what had I done in terms of radical sinful life as a church kid? But uh, as I walked down those stadium steps, I thought, had such a peace in my heart and my life and a joy I can remember. I wish everyone in the world could know Jesus. And when people ask me my testimony of a call to missions, I go all the way back to my salvation experience. And in fact, I can get pretty obstinate in that discussion. It's hard for me to understand how anybody can be saved and know Christ and not want to be a missionary to tell everybody about, about Jesus. But Anyway, uh, so I knew that I was going to heaven, and it was, it was settled. Okay, but that's really not what salvation is all about. Salvation is to restore us to a relationship with God, and this is what James focused on, that we become one with God, one in the Father, just as Jesus was in the Father, and the Father was in Him, because we were separated by our sin. The Bible just describes that situation. Apart from life with Christ, we're dead in trespasses and sin, in darkness. We're lost, aliens from God, without hope in this world. Tragic situation. And what God did was to restore, and restoring the kingdom of God, providing redemption as a, even from back to the fall of Adam and Eve, to restore us to the kingdom. You know, Jesus never told his disciples to go and pre preach, proclaim the gospel. He told them to proclaim the gospel, but he never said the gospel of salvation. He said, go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Now, what is it that makes a kingdom? A king. You've got to have a king. So what the good news is that we can be restored to the Lordship of Christ and know Him in a personal way. Now, now here's the way it works. Let's see the first slide there, Andy. Uh, there's three tenses to our salvation. Uh, you know, the, uh, in the past, we prayed, received Christ, and the penalty of our sin was... Uh, was paid, okay, but then, uh, you know, we get to that ridiculous question, uh, I say ridiculous, uh, uh, you know, often dealt with this uh, growing up in, in seminary and over the years, can you know Christ as Savior and not as Lord? Well, we have the idea of the present aspect of salvation in that we are being saved, as we were saved from the penalty of sin, we are continuing to be saved from the power of sin in our life through growing sanctification. We know that's the work, work of the Holy, Holy Spirit. And in the future, we will be saved uh, in, uh, 
from the presence of sin when we're in heaven, uh, totally delivered in salvation. And the Bible speaks of these in, uh, in, in several things that can be rather confusing. In uh, Romans uh, 8, where Romans 5, 8, where the scripture says, you know, that God uh, demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ for us. But now it goes on to say, much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled through his death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So that experience of salvation is not just a one-time thing. It's an ongoing, constant renewing and forgiving and purifying and cleaning and overcoming the power of sin uh, that the Holy Spirit works in our life. So that's really the whole purpose of why Christ died, the purpose of redemption, to restore us to that relationship with God. As James was explaining last week, to be one with Him. Now get it, it was necessary for our sins to be forgiven, that penalty be paid, in order for us to have a relationship with God. Going to heaven is just the bonus of being restored to a relationship with God. And uh, so we need to understand that aspect of, this, of salvation. In fact, I, I just have to share this. Next slide, Andy. Uh, in, our, in our mission work, uh, I've been to 157 countries, uh, in Southeast Asia, 23 years, worked with Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, cultural Catholics, uh, you know, whatever. And there's three unique things about Christianity. And you can debate the pros and cons, the differences in our religion, what we believe, and, and so forth. But it is the only religion that provides a, a solution to the sin problem. Uh, I can recall many working with Muslims in Indonesia, uh, you know, kind of hit a point of commonality. We both believe in one God, and, you know, you can kind of carry that. Uh, we call them different, have a little different theology, of course. But, uh, and it's easy to just get con uh, connect by saying, you know, he's really a holy and righteous God. And we're sinners. We both have the same problem of dealing with sin that separates us from God. So, you know, I just asked, well, what do you do about, about that? And he would usually talk about the five pillars of Islam and so forth. And I said, well, how's that working out? <laughs> Who knows? Real arbitrary. You know, inshallah, that's the answer. God willing, you know, whatever God chooses. No assurance whatsoever. Well, let me tell you what I have done about the sin problem. And the second thing is, it's the only religion in which God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Every other religion is trying to do it through your devotion and, uh, and, and your uh, worship and sacrifices and good deeds and so forth. But that doesn't cleanse us from our sins. It doesn't take away. Only God can, and he did it for us. And I usually kind of prick him a little bit and say, well, do you know him? And he thinks that's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. The idea that you can know God. Well, let me tell you how I can know it. But anyway, that's kind of beside the point, just for what it's worth. But here is the real clincher, and this is powerful in witnessing to anybody here, as based, especially to people of other religions. It's the only religion that provides a personal relationship with God. 
Folks, that is powerful. It is beyond the comprehension of most of the people in, in our world. So uh, anyway, uh, it's all about coming to the kingdom and knowing God in relationship uh, with him. Uh, but here's, uh, I think, one of the most important points I want you to take away from this when I take, take time to begin with it. A settled past, our sins having been forgiven, an assured future of that mansion in heaven and eternal life should make for a triumphant present. And so in his discussion with the disciples, Jesus was talking about knowing the Father, going to be with the Father, that he and the Father were one. If you've seen him, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God uh, through his works. And then uh, you may remember James kind of concluded, I think one of the clinches there, and greater works than he did, that I do, shall you do. Now that may be a little far-fetched for us to get our, our minds around that we would do greater works than Jesus. But you see, his, his incarnational presence was kind of an aberration to who he was in his existence. That was just for a brief brevity of time which the Godhead was limited into the bodily presence of Jesus, that one person. But now, as he goes to the Father, the Holy Spirit is going to be given so that he, God, in all of his power and authority, indwells us, and Jesus continues his work through us, just multiplying, you know, the hundreds of people just right here in Highland Baptist Church and Christians all over America and all over the world, the Holy Spirit and God continuing to work in that multiplying way is just a, a powerful concept. So uh, as, as the Father is, He is in the Father and the Father in Him, so is He in us. So that kind of helps help with that. But verse 16, this is a real key as we pick up uh, in, uh, in Acts 14, turn to Romans and lost my place. John. Where are we? Okay, are we in John? Thank you, Bill. Okay, John, John 14, verse 16. But I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Andrew, let's go to the next slide. When he talks about another helper, the word is paraclete, which means alongside, one to come alongside. How is it often translated in your Bible? Here, it's helper. What's another word that's commonly used? Comforter. Advocate. Comforter. Helper. Counselor. Okay, you've got a, a number of words, but, but it literally means one alongside. What does a counselor do, or a comforter do, a helper do. He comes alongside you. Uh, talk about your prayer help. Help me, Lord. Uh, you know, uh, there it is, the Holy Spirit. That's how, how the Lord answers the prayer. But it's interesting that there are two words in the Greek that are translated another. 
Okay, uh, one of them is allos, which means another, but it's of the exact same kind. Then heteros means another one, but it's of a different kind. Like if we just, group of us decided to go to lunch together, and I say, well, you want to go in my car, which is a, a 2016 GMC tan Acadia. And you say, Alos, I'll go in another car. Alos, it means, no, I won't go in your car, but I'll go in another car that is a 2016 tan GMC Acadia, exactly like yours. But if you use the word heteros, I'll go in another car. It may be your, your Camry or whatever, uh, you know, a different kind of car. So Jesus said, another helper is going to come. Alos, uh, get the word alloy, uh, you know, becomes one of the same. Okay, which word did Jesus use? How many of you think he used alos? How many of you think he used heteros? Okay, it's a, another one, but it's a different kind. Heteros. Okay, the word he used was alos. The heifer that's going to come is the exact same one that is alongside you as your helper and your counselor and your comforter right now. Because notice he says in verse 6, what he says about him. Uh, he said, the world doesn't know him. The world did not receive Christ, rejected him, did not know him. Said, but you know him and he abides with you. Who did they know? They knew Jesus. Who, did, who was abiding with them? Jesus was. And so he says, uh, and he abides with you and will be in you. So the one that they knew and saw, Jesus, the one that was abiding with them was their helper, Jesus, would now not just be alongside, but actually be in them and abiding in them. And it's the exact same as Jesus himself. Uh, I love, uh, I think James alluded to The Chosen. I love watching those episodes of The Chosen because it, it just makes Jesus seem so real. You know, we see this pious, uh, you know, uh, piety, and he just interacting, having fun, laughing, joking with the, the disciples and, uh, you know, doing things, just a lot of interest. It makes him seem so personable and so real. And to think that he, you know, will be not only with us, but in us. So here, here's what I want to ask. If you've watched The Chosen and just picture, I just think how wonderful to be with Jesus. He's so real, he's so caring, he's so compassionate and uh, sensitive. And, and to see his miracles and everything. Would you be afraid to be with him? Why are we so afraid of the Holy Spirit? That's Jesus. Everything we know about Jesus, his character, his love, his compassion, and his power, his, his wisdom, uh, all that, that he did, that he would come to live with us. You see why the, uh, I wanted to emphasize the emphasis of our salvation is, to, is the way to God, to know God, to be restored to a relationship with God.
because he goes on through this passage just as he did in the earlier verses. You know, as I'm in the Father, the Father in me, then uh, he believes in me, the works that I do, greater works he do. Uh, you will be in me, I will be in you. Uh, you know, that Jesus is with us through the, the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, verse 18 and 19, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. Is he talking about heaven, getting to that mansion, eternal life? No, he's talking about Christ-like life now, here and now. Now they see him physically, but now they will know him because he will be in us, living that life through us. Verse 20, that day you know that I'm in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Well, we have a, I, I'm not sure, well, I, I got some understanding because I've been where you've been and others as well. Uh, some confusion regarding the Holy Spirit because there are a lot of teachings, a lot of practices. Well, uh, okay, I get it. The Holy Spirit, He's in us. That's the presence of, of Jesus. But what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Have I been baptized uh, in, in the Spirit? Uh, you know, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, the reality is, I mean, the Holy Spirit comes into us when we're saved at redemption. That's when we come into that relationship with God, not limited to the physical presence of a person in the body, the form of, of Jesus, but now in the Spirit, He comes and lives within us. And if He did not come into your life when you were saved, you would not have been saved. Because you are convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit. We'll get into that verse chapter 15 and then 16. Uh, this whole lesson of the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sin. That convinces us and convicts us of the truth of the gospel. And even is the one that gives us the faith to believe it and receive it. And from that point on, he is in our life. So why the admonition to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, is it like uh, uh, two things I remember learning. I meant to say this earlier about the Holy Spirit growing up, my church experience. He's a he, not an it. And it's the third person of the Trinity. Now, that's all I knew about the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know... So he is the person of Christ. You don't receive part of him and then maybe a little more later and, and finally the fullness. How can you be filled with Christ? How can you be filled with God in your life? You've got to be emptied in order to be filled. He supplants the affections for the world, the carnality, the selfishness that the the fleshly nature that, you know, just keeps us uh, tied to that, that old life and, and nature. And, uh, you know, I would grant it, in fact, it's happened in my life. I'm not going to get uh, off track to uh, tell you about it uh, today. But uh, when I became 
aware of the reality of what we're talking about. And, and just seeing the power of the Holy Spirit work in inexplicable ways that could not be explained by anything except the work of God. And uh, it was like a new experience. That was more significant than my salvation experience. And let me just say, I think someone who, who, who receives and understands that reality of the power and presence of God himself, Jesus Christ within us, in the Holy Spirit, it's like a, a second, some call it the second blessing, the sequential to salvation. I mean, it is so powerful and dynamic, discovering the fullness of God that we didn't know when we first became a Christian and have been growing in our faith. So, uh, uh, yeah, I think this is kind of an explanation why many advocate it is a second blessing and we're still, once we've been saved, we still need to receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, but you have the Holy Spirit and all the potential of the reality of who He is and and what he does in our life. I remember in our starting churches in Indonesia among Muslims and in the villages, there was a dynamic change in their life when they came to understand who Jesus was and they could know God. I mean, they would tell me, yeah, we go to the mosque every Friday, we say our prayers every day, but it doesn't speak to our hearts, you know, doesn't really do anything. Uh, you know, in our hearts, and then discovering the personal relationship with God through faith in Christ. It's a dynamic change. But in discipling and teaching, we eventually get to 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I saw an emotional and dramatic change in their demeanor and their lives because they're still living in in that background of darkness and superstition and fear and the spirits are, are very real and uh, to suddenly realize the one that is in you that Christ is greater than them and there's no more reason for fear and uh, you know that they can't touch you it was a dramatic and we have those dramatic experiences in change when we become aware and experience the reality of what God gave us in all of his fullness uh, at, at salvation. But that fullness, is, it's not like a spiritual yo-yo. I think that's typical of most of our lives. Sometimes you got it, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. And uh, get discouraged and uh, just kind of frustrated trying to live the Christian life and knowing all the blessings and fullness that, that God has for us. But he's a person. He's come alongside you. He's within you, uh, abiding in you, always there, pouring out his spirit and all that he has to, to offer to our Christian life. And so what the scripture goes on to tell us here and in the following uh, two chapters as well, chapter 15 and 16, uh, is what that result is. It, it's, it's obedience you know, following uh, his commands, not because this is how we're supposed to live and what we do. This is, this is why so many Christians are frustrated. We know we're supposed to love one another, supposed to serve others, not supposed to lie and defraud others or, you know, practice any deceit. And, and uh, 
Okay, but if you try to do that because this is what the Bible teaches you to do, or in other words, the law, and that's what you ought to do, you're always going to fail. You try to do it in your own efforts, uh, you're going to fail. I'll be teaching new missionaries at the International Mission Board this week on abiding in Christ through prayer and Bible study and have uh, some, uh, you know, just uh, been, been contemplating that. And I think anyone, especially someone getting to be a missionary, is very conscientious about their prayer life. But I don't think I've ever met anyone who is totally satisfied with their prayer life. And we keep trying in all these methods and things we read about. But if it's just a discipline and something you're doing yourself, you're always going to fail. It's something the Holy Spirit enables us and gives to us out of a love for the Father. You love me and I love you. And out of that love grows obedience that it's unthinkable to do anything except what he teaches us to do and how we're supposed to live because that's the nature of the Holy Spirit living within us. So I'm going to get ahead in our, our lesson next week, Abiding in Christ, chapter 15, you know, the vine and the branches. But uh, again, just like talking about the mansions in heaven, don't let that uh, illustration just kind of divert where we're going and the whole theme through here. What all do we have? Because Christ is in us. In chapter 16, verse 11, he says, My joy I have given to you, I said, I've spoken these words to you that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. Okay, this is what Jesus is explaining here. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And in verse 27, look right there in, in chapter 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful, giving you peace. Of course, in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and be my witnesses. Okay, is that a picture of your life that is one with God because the Holy Spirit has been given to us? Or do you ever have worry, anxiety, stress instead of joy? Do you ever live with discouragement, disappointment, kind of defeated frustrated in your Christian life and instead of power to be used of God and power to witness do you uh, feel tight, shy intimidated to share your faith and tell, tell others about Jesus well now wait a minute Jesus just said we've got joy we've got power we've got peace well now I'm going to get getting off on a tangent on my lessons on spiritual warfare we've got got an enemy in fact, I'm going to jump on down to verse 30. Jesus said, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. In other words, Satan is about to be kicked on his behind. Uh, he's not going to have any claim to Jesus. But I'm kind of amused. He's like most preachers today. Uh, Jesus said, I'll not speak much more with you because he was moving toward the cross, of course, and, uh, and then he, he keeps talking for four more chapters. <laughs> so uh, so he, he, he's not, not finished yet. But uh, this is what he's talking about, obedience to my command, not because it's the law, because you know this is how you ought to behave, 
and what you ought to do, but it's because He is in us doing it for us. He's our helper. He's our comforter. He's our paraclete alongside us. So uh, I want to be sure, and uh, I'm watching the clock real quick. I've got, got this thing need to finish up. Uh, so uh, to me, I've, I've been a little discouraged in all the stereotype discipleship uh, lessons that churches use and even our missionaries uh, because it always speaks of basic elements of the Christian life, Bible study, worship, uh, prayer, uh, witnessing, kind of as a discipline. You know, a discipline is something you decide to do and you, uh, you know, you, you make a commitment to do that, live like that. It's always going to fail. I think the essential overriding point of uh, the Christian life, the fullness of the Christian life, is really what these chapters are talking about, is the reality of Christ being in us. And it couldn't be explained any better than in chapter 14. It's through that, that helper, Jesus himself, would return exactly the same kind, not a different kind, but the one that was with them, abiding with them, would be in them, and he is in us, whether you call it Jesus or, the, or, or Christ. That's why I think the, the essence of discipleship and appropriating that fullness and abundant life Galatians 2.20, when Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet it's not I, but Christ who lives in me. Okay, that being crucified with Christ recognizes that he has died for your sins, but it also means if Christ is living your life for you now and it's not you, you have emptied yourself of yourself. It's no longer me trying to live the Christian life, trying to pray, trying to have power to witness. Uh, because I've died to self that Christ might live in me. In the life I now live in the faith, in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's Paul's explicit picture of what uh, John 14 is telling us and talking about. And you know what Galatians 2.21, the next verse says, Paul says, Therefore, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Can you imagine God being frustrated? I mean, here's almighty, sovereign God. But when we try to live our life for us, rather than living it in submission to Him and allowing Him to empower and, and, and do what He seeks to do in our life, God is frustrated with that flow of grace and power that He has given to us, and we're just blocking and cutting it off by trying to do it ourselves instead of by faith allowing Jesus to do it for us because our life is in Him. And so, also, one other real point, let me make real quick, in verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring your remembrance all that I said to you. So realize that, that he is the one that enlightens God's word and understanding, whether in your Bible study or hearing a sermon, it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us, that is applying it and enlightening it to, uh, to, to our lives. So uh, next week we'll be talking about the, the abiding 
in this that the Holy Spirit has given to us, that Christ is in us because we're one with the Father. So we already have the uh, slide up in conclusion. So in Christ, uh, we have re because we are in Christ, we have redemption. Because Christ is in us, we have abundant, victorious life. And so, so Jesus interchanges, though. I'm in you, you're in me, uh, we are in Christ. In fact, 65 times in the New Testament is the reference, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, be clothed in Christ. You are in Christ Jesus. Uh, so he is in us, we are in him, and for us to be in Christ is our redemption. For Christ to be in us is that victorious, abundant life. For us to be in Christ makes us fit for heaven. But for Christ to be in us makes us fit for life here on earth the home and the life that he's provided for us. So being in Christ does change our destination. Those mansions have been prepared for us. But for Christ to be in us changes our destiny, our way of live, our lifestyle, our, our behavior. And uh, so praise God, uh, we're not left as orphans. How many times do you just feel alone, struggling, trying to work it all out, be who you ought to be, do the things that you ought to, ought to do? But Christ is in us. And one of Satan's most favorite tactics is to just divert our attention and destroy that faith and awareness of his presence, that he is in us. And that is the Holy Spirit, that helper, exactly the same one that was talking with Jesus in flesh and blood that came to be in us as well, as well as them. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for your presence in our lives, not just to provide us salvation as a one-time event, but a change of destiny, a change of life that glorifies you because we walk in obedience, serving you and living for you as your word teaches us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you might take about five or, or ten minutes and just share maybe some, some new insights, a little different perspective that maybe the Lord has given you this morning.